0: This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now, here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Well, I've got this story that I need to tell because I find it so fascinating. And I want to preface this by saying this is not me patting myself on the back. I want to share this with you guys. And I want to get feedback from you on our social media channels. I, I recently had uh, a story just a couple of days ago when we're taping this. Um, it, was a, it was an announcement by a client that wanted, uh, and we had a press release and we wanted to get the press release out. We had done an exclusive story with a local uh, newspaper, the most important one that they wanted to be in. Um, The story hit the website and it was gonna be in print the next morning, but the news release was still getting kicked around by a thousand cooks and it wasn't ready to go out yet. But I wanted to capture morning drive broadcast for the next morning. Um, And so I made the decision to copy and paste the article from the newspaper website and send it to the broadcast desks to get their attention and give them uh, an exclusive photo that we had along with a new logo for this thing that was being announced. Um, And I said, I was very plain with it. I said, here's the newspaper story. All the information is accurate. Um, Here are some of the assets. Thought you might want to use it in morning drive. And wouldn't you know what? I wake up the next morning and everyone's using it. I've never had that experience before. And again, this is not me patting myself on the back. I'm fascinated by the fact that that not unlike when I worked in newsrooms and and you know opened up the paper for morning drive and said, oh, what's in this paper? What's in that paper? We want to pull this story out and that kind of thing. Give attribution, obviously. It's the first time that I as a PR person have ever sent a news article without a news release from the client and actually had broadcast outlets use it the next morning. I I just, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. I think it's really interesting as a case study. Uh, And maybe our guest today will be able to give, chime in and give his experience as it ever happened to him. It's never happened to me before in 25 years of public relations. Um, And I'm gonna do it more often. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, enough chatter from me. Let's get on to our guest. David Libby is the founder of Two Pins, a San Francisco Bay Area agency that integrates public relations, social media, and content programs to drive and scale highly successful launches for new products, platforms, applications, and services. David works with his clients on establishing differentiation, there's the word, man, and positioning to break clients out of the pack through a unique combination of enterprise know-how and startup scrappiness. I love it. David, welcome to the PR podcast. Thank you so much, Jody. What does two pins stand for? Well, in computers, there's pins that communicate with one
1: another, right? There you go. Yeah, And those pins have connectors, and we're the connectors between two of those pins.
0: That is great. I love it. I love it. My son built his own uh, computer uh, probably about a year ago now. Um, and that was uh, his own PC, and that was you know YouTube video after YouTube video, and boy, getting those little pins in there. Some of those things connect by the, the the, the tiniest. Of, I love that name, two pins. That's great. So let's talk about your business, and let's talk about product launches, which is something that you specialize in.
1: Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, and, and the product launches are you know these companies come to us and you know speaking about differentiation you know, they put out the product release and say, or the press release and say, Hey, you know, we want to get press. We want to announce a new product. We want to announce our company, something that we're doing. And we come back to them and ask the questions. So what makes this different? How do you fit into the market? How do you, how do you look at the competition? What holes can we help you fill? What story are you telling? How does this build into your narrative? So it's not just announcing a product and getting some sort of quick hit. It's about establishing relationships and then maintaining those relationships with the media and with your stakeholders over a period of time.
0: How much work do you have to have on the front end, you know, conversing with the client and sort of acclimating to that? Because I got to imagine there are some clients, not unlike any other client, right, that sits across the conference table from you for the first time and says, we need to be in the New York Times or we need to be in the fill in the media outlet. What is that conversation like? with you and your prospective clients when you're specifically talking about launches?
1: Yeah, good question, Jody. I will have to say the best clients, you know, look at this as a relationship. You know, we we work together because we really like one another. We really think we can do good work together and combined, you know, the, the talent on both sides of the table, help build the story and create something that someone else wants to read. So when, you know, someone else, looks at this this story when it comes out they're saying oh you know i want what they have or i relate what they're doing and i could see myself working with that company so it's not just a matter of having uh you know here's the content for a press release go pitch it see what you can get us for today it is let's sit down let's strategize let's look at well really what is the position what is the messaging that supports this position are there you know different target audiences and what are the different PR messages for those different target target audiences and how can we expand the amount of PR coverage.
0: What types of clients and maybe what types of industries are we talking about that you're working with on a regular basis.
1: We've really been specializing in five um, cybersecurity artificial intelligence cloud computing big data and legal tech.
0: So those are some some really niche kind of areas, right? They they require some some specialized knowledge, um, and certainly some specialized relationships with with reporters. Um, are are there and again not to put you on the spot or you know drop any names here, but but are there that are there types of reporters that you find yourselves working with on the regular basis? I mean, who who's covering those types of issues? Right. Well, we find you know. It's a, it gets a good question. It's interesting to for me that
1: there's a combination of the clients that say we want to be in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> you know, and so you know, there there's folks who write about artificial intelligence in the Wall Street Journal. You know, there's also artificial intelligence trade publications now. There's blogs, there's email newsletters, there's podcasts, right? And so it it really depends upon the narrative's goal. Like right? what are we what are we trying to get to? Because we're really Focusing on accelerating these startups to their exits. So everything that we do is really taking the marketing messaging and aligning it with the business objectives. So what can we do to start with, here's something that we want to announce. And then is it going to be best suited if we put it in front of the journal, or is it going to be best suited if we put it in front of Information Week or eWeek or, or you know, what have you, uh, you know, a vertical or horizontal tech or trade publication? Maybe, you know, we're talking about, you know, the retail sector and, you know. Another, you know, as it relates to artificial intelligence and it's, you know, you know re- retail week or, you know, it's, a, it's one of those retail trade publications. It, it really depends upon where that company's focused and what kind of attention they want to receive and, and what story they have to tell.
0: Now, when we're talking about product launches or, you know, thing launches, let's put it that way, right? You're, you're rolling something out that is new. You were talking, and, and this is, you know, a, a common theme across public relations, talking about connecting that thing with an individual. And, you know, because it's the individual that is articulating the story about the thing, right? How do you go about that with the clients? Is it, is it always the CEO or the inventor or is it who do you identify as the person who articulates the story?
1: Yeah, so we we back it up from the publication from the actual coverage that another company got to our client. So for example, if we see, you know, because hopefully every customer, we, every client we have has a competitor, right? Otherwise, there, there's no market for what they're selling, or, you know, it's brand new and good luck with that. Uh, so, you know, like say in the cybersecurity space, when we look at the RSA conference, which is coming up in May, if the... RSA conference is you know, or has been, you know, being covered about you know security program management or identity identity access and management topics. Well, which reporters have covered that in which publications, and we look and say, see, okay, so was a CEO interviewed? Was a CTO interviewed? Was a, uh, a security leader, a customer interviewed? And what is, what is the dependency? What's the need on the publication side or the podcast side or, or what have you? And then we back it up and say, okay, so based on our research, we know to get this kind of coverage, you need to have these people in your organization talking about this with these images or with these, this B-roll to get that kind of coverage.
0: Yeah, I love the reverse engineering as it were. Um, And, and, you know, I'm guilty of that, too. And that goes back to my radio days where we talk about back timing, right? You got to back time something into a certain, uh, you know, stroke of the second hand on the clock. Um, We talk about back timing coverage or back timing uh, events or things like that. Um, Really, really interesting. Uh, You mentioned before, and I want to key in on this because I've done a little bit of this myself. Um, How do you get publicity for something that's brand new? that no one's ever heard of. I mean, typically what we caution clients about is um, what you want to do is kind of build an online profile because the first thing a reporter's going to do is Google. And if they can't find anything about you, well, you're not that legit. And you kind of said that in, in a similar way just now. Um, how do you get publicity for something that is, has got zero footprint, is brand new?
1: Yeah, I, it, I was actually... You and I said that I was actually thinking, gosh, you know, it's not that we haven't done that. It's just a different kind of challenge. I was recruited up to the San Francisco Bay Area to work with Steve Jobs on the Pixar account. And we launched the Bugs Life and Toy Story 2. And when I was working with Steve, his, you know, his approach was was unique in that it was always about, well, you know, just because someone hasn't heard about this before doesn't mean, you know, it's not, you know, something that can make an impact. It's not that it hasn't had success it's successful but there's nothing to compare it to or we need to compare it to something that came previously essentially disrupting right which was which what we did disrupting a category and so you know when steve said a bug's life was the biggest film animated film of all time well back in the day actually bambi was and so i said to him you know the the fact that you know, Bambi is doesn't mean that we're not, we're just in a different category. A Bug's Life was actually the largest, biggest grossing com, uh, computer animated film of all time. And so that put it in, this, in a new category, which is a new category, right? And in, yeah, on one hand, that was a spin. But on the other hand, it was really the reality that, you know, here was a whole new filmmaking experience. that that had gotten some publicity, but not yet on this grand scale, and now it has, and it's disrupting the film market, and people started saying, oh my gosh, we've got computer animated ants, what about computer animated people, and, you know, just recently, you know, some of us, many of us saw computer animated Luke Skywalker, right, on the Mandalorian, <laughs> right? Hey, wow, nice tattoo.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yes, sir. For wars everybody hat. listening, I just showed off my Millennium Falcon tattoo to David as it, as he's dropping the Star Wars reference. But go ahead. No problem. I mean, I should have come in my Star Wars shirt. I was actually on a business call yesterday where the speaker couple, was like, "Star Wars fan." Go ahead. And
1: I wore my Empire Strikes Back shirt to the business meeting. Mm-hmm. It's just like you know what? Life's too short. I'm just taking liberties. So, yeah, and, you know, computer animated Luke Skywalker walks onto the screen, right? And there you go. And he looks and acts and sounds like a real person, but he wasn't. And so look how far we've come. And, you know, it just, you know, God bless Steve. He just really had the vision for pushing people beyond their comfortable limits. But it's okay to be comfortable when uncomfortable, right?
0: It's okay. and let's not drive by that name drop too quickly there. How do you come to work with Steve Jobs? Well, I actually was, you
1: know, hes a, he he was a celebrity, right? I and mean, he still is. And I had started out my PR career in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles, working with celebrities, including Shirley MacLaine, James Earl Jones. We essentially launched Halle Berry's career. And so, you know, be that. and and working with celebrities, you're working with people and people, you know, they're human and they're frail and they're, you know, rational, yet emotional and passionate and, you know, they get upset. And so when I was approached to work with Steve, people said, well, you know, he has a reputation and, you know, can you work with someone like this? And I said, well, I've been working with celebrities for quite some time now. I'm sure I can work with this celebrity is how I framed it in my mind, because he's much or he was, and he still is, much bigger in the Bay Area than he was in Los Angeles at the time. You know, maybe not today, but at the time he was. And he was much more well-known. And And I, I was also coming out of the entertainment industry into the technology sector. So I was able to just kind of sit down with him and, and be comfortable where others here were like, oh, you know, you know, we, we don't have the experience and and we don't, um, and we, we've, we've had the experience with him and, you know, we need someone else to come kind of help out and manage this relationship which it really essentially was it was me coming in and you know working with him and I felt like I was hanging out with a brother like I felt really connected to him it was really weird and then um, also helping Pixar manage the relationship between Disney and Pixar which which in itself was really fun because I'd come from working with Disney working with Miramax and, and other studios and Paramount. And so that in itself was, was just a good kind of graduation up to working with Steve and Pixar.
0: That is, that is quite an amazing story. And, and I'll confess a little, uh, a little envy over here. I am, uh, I am totally in the tank on Apple. Uh, I'm totally in the tank on on Steve Jobs. I, I, I sincerely feel like he is um, the most important person of the 20th century. Uh, definitely in terms of the way what he did has impacted all of our lives on a very intimate level. I mean, I'm standing here, we're you know, we're talking on on this on over Zoom on this podcast right now. None of this exists if I don't have my MacBook and my my Apple Watch and my uh, uh, webcam here, and I've, and I've got, I'm, I'm staring at five different Apple devices, and there are 20 more of them throughout my house. Um, he, he really was, in my estimation, the most amazing and most impactful person of the, of the 20th century. Um, and, it's, and it's, like I said, I'll confess a little jealousy for, for you having worked with him. Um, what was he, and I'm not asking you to, you know, you know drop stories or, or anything, but what was he like as a person to work with?
1: I thought he was very pleasant. He was very patient. He had really good eye contact. He was very calm with me. Um, he was hyper-focused. And, and you know, folks I work with used to say how, you know, it, it's easy to get PR for Steve Jobs. And I, you know, it, and you know, I'd call Time Magazine and Walter Isaacson would say, hey, David, what does Steve want now? You know, but it it wasn't that it was easy. It was easy to get somebody on the phone, but it was hard to really help him understand that the persona that he had at apple isn't the persona he had at pixar and he'd also matured over that period of time and so what you read about him or write about him that that wasn't the person that i know i mean i i thought he was very pleasant very gracious he was he was full of gratitude um just um really just really respectful of the people that worked with him and that did stuff that he couldn't do. He told me, you know, he he was the Ferrari. Everyone always wanted to see the Ferrari, you know, see it, he would say, the outside of it. And he'd say, but, you know, we need to focus on the inside of the Ferrari because without the engine, you know, this thing's not going anywhere. So, you know, look at, you know, John Lasseter, you know, look at Ed Catmull, look at the leaders uh, of Pixar. and, And I just, I had so much respect for him that he could see that big picture and he he didn't have an ego about it. I'll say one last thing, it was just, where this really, really hit me was when we were standing together in a a conference room looking at the upcoming Emeryville studio in Emeryville, California. The studio was in Richmond, California, up here in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is like Northeast of San Francisco. And they were moving moving Southeast and, I said, wow, the buildings are massive. And he said, yeah, it was, we're gonna start making five films at the same time. And it had never been done, you know? And, you know, studios generally make, or did, made about two at the same time at the time. And it was just really cool to stand side by side with him. and just hear him talk about just how just grateful he was and how beautiful it was. And and I, I just, I remember just saying, wow, this is really amazing. And, you know, I didn't use that word, but, you know, he, he agreed and just, you know, that, that kind of humanity, um, that kind of eye contact, that kind of working relationship was why we were so
0: successful, um, throughout the, the time that I had with him. Wow. That that's a great story. It's, that's great to hear. Um, let's pivot a little bit back to your career and a little bit about public relations. Um, you, you are, are an author as well. Uh, you've written a lot of great stuff. The one that one, uh, Item that you uh, posted on the the two pins uh, website that caught my eye um, is a problem that I think a lot of public relations people uh, deal with all the time, which is um, tips for measuring pr effectiveness. Yeah. Um, you know, and and we get that question a lot. like how do we measure PR? And I don't know how you i I'm interested to know how you answer the question. um uh, maybe let me let's hear from you first, and then I'll give you give you my opinion.
1: yeah, PR is um. I always go back to what the company wants. Yeah, I always go back to like what what what's your your business objective, and and some of them have said you know share a voice, and okay, so you know let's let's sit down and let's talk about how we define share a voice, and some of them said hey, lead generation. Oh, you know PR is not a lead generation tool. Actually, you know what it can be. It really can be. So it's not what it can't be, it's not what it can't do. It just has to be in alignment with the expectations of the people who are managing up to their executives and to the board. That's really where it's at. And that's why, you know, it's, and that's why I don't think there's a straight line. It's not like we can say, oh, we got this many clicks and, this, and we, created this, or we created this many impressions or it's worth this much ad dollars. You know, I'm really looking for impact. That's all I'd say to my clients is let's sit down and figure out where we can make the biggest impact. It may be in brand awareness. It may be in, in lead generation. You know, it, it may be in thought leadership. It, you know, it just, it just depends upon really what their expectations are and what we can do to help them get there.
0: Yeah, I, I have a similar approach. I, I, I frequently say that, that PR is not a direct line to your cash register. Because frequently people will say, oh, I want to increase my sales. Let's get an article in the newspaper or something that sounds like that. And, and that's just not reality. Um, at the same time, you know, if you do get a day of, of solid publicity, you should, you know, kind of see some kind of bump in there somewhere. But I don't think it's a big, bold, black line with an arrow at the end of it. that says, see, this is what we did. Um, I love your approach talking about um. um Sort of, and one of our former guests used this phrase: visibility, increasing visibility and making an impact. And I, and I think that's that's the business that we're in is the business of of impact. Um, and these going- folks
1: need to realize that they need to make an impact on an ongoing basis, right? Folks meaning clients, folks meaning these vendors or whomever we're working with. It's not about a single event, because what happens it's it then it becomes a car accident everybody remembers a car accident and oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, but and I'm not saying we should have a series of car accidents. I need to, you know, there's more more positive spin to that. It's that, you know, it, it's like the ocean, the waves and to keep rolling in. We need to keep the surf, you know, keep, so the surfers get out there and they keep going, they keep doing their thing. And so we're, we're the PR, the PR people like myself are basically helping teach these surfers to surf, helping them build better boards help them get notice on the waves and helping them just, you know, not crash onto the sand.
0: I am feeling very Zen right now with your analogy there, but I totally love it. I love the surf and the waves and the I'm a beach guy too. That, that's a, a fabulous analogy. Yeah. It's just keep those waves coming. Absolutely. Um, going back to the launch conversation too. Are there certain things you should not do when you're trying to launch something, when you're trying to create that sort of, you know, right out of the gate uh, publicity or, or awareness?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I would, by all means, try and stay away from any kind of marketing jargon. You know, I think that's the first rule of thumb for every single, not just company, but PR person, PR people and and marketing people tend to just get royal, you know, all broiled, broiled up in the kind of the, you know, the, the fantastical words and the descriptors. And I think it just really takes away from the news, the news element of what, they're trying to get across. And, you know, th- these journalists and these editors, they don't have much time. They get hundreds of these emails every day and they, they just need to be told, you know, in probably less than 200 words, you know, give me, give me the, what's the top line news? And, you know, why does it matter to me? Boom, done. And all, you know, get into this, all this jargon, it, it gets lost. That's the first thing I'd say. But the, the second thing that I wouldn't do is, I, I've seen this mistake too. Um, clients seem to put marketing and PR people in the front. And this isn't my relationship that I'm brokering for the client. It's their relationship. You know, I, and this is another thing I learned from Steve. This is not, when I establish a relationship with a, for a client with a publication like Wired Magazine, you know, think about the future of the relationship that this individual, this company could have with wired when i walk away when which always happens because you know pr people don't work with their clients forever right there needs to be a continuation of that relationship and so it's my job to establish a relationship but not just that to help maintain it so in that to your question jody it's their job the client's job to help keep that relationship going send me these opinions let's get these trend ideas let's let's really help these journalists and editors get to really know more about what they're focusing on more than they do already because you're in it client you know it. you live it you breathe it more than anybody except probably an industry analyst who probably knows it as well as or maybe not as well as but quite almost as well as you do and you know educate them like you would an industry analyst really like i hate to say it's public relations i want to say it's like Relation, relationship relations. I know I can't think of a better way to say that, but it's like, take the, take the public relations, take the stakeholder communications, take the employee communications, take the internal communications and put it in one bag. And like, focus on the relationship you have with that journalist and it will pay off by tenfold. Maybe not right away, but over the long period, you're going to make a lot of new best friends like Steve did, who are going to want to follow you wherever you go. And it's going to help you and it's going to help your client and help your company.
0: That is, that is wisdom in a bottle. And we're going to leave it right there, David. Thank you so much for being a guest with us today. Um, we are going to pivot now to the rapid fire question portion of our podcast. This is where we have a little fun, steal a page from inside the actor's studio. Uh, David, you've heard the podcast before. So, you know, we're looking for that, that gut reaction answer with your indulgence. Here we go. Rapid fire question number one. What is your favorite news source? Wall Street Journal, good one. Rapid fire question number two: What is your favorite social media platform? Instagram. Oh, okay. Rapid fire question number three: Coffee or alcohol?
1: Mm, coffee.
0: Yeah, all of us, right? <laughs> I Can't live <laughs> without it. I I saw a great little I saw a great little meme on uh, Instagram today that I'm that I set aside and I'm going to use at some point that had to do with coffee. It's, you know,
1: uh, you know of course it's good for you right you gotta have three cups a day i just read so it's like well i can only drink one and a half not even one and a half i can you know i'm lucky if i can have one cup of coffee a day because i guess oh some- really
0: i'm never <laughs> without it i love never it. It. It's it's it Never without it. it's it's a problem I
1: love it. oh i've got oh really i've got a ton of recommendations for you i like cover coffee like i cover wine you know i just i know a lot about it so.
0: oh there you go we'll talk offline rapid fire question number four what is your favorite on the run food Ooh, Burgers. Mm, any particular one? Gosh. Nations. <laughs> do, you, do you have nations out there? No, we don't. We don't. Oh, is that a local chain?
1: Yeah, it's a local chain. It's like our in and out, but it's got better. it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Rapid fire question. Number five, what do you want to be after you finish this career?
1: Oh boy. Gosh. You know, I feel like I've had so many careers as it is. Well, I love to do woodworking and I, have a I am a professional woodworker because I've sold quite a number of my pieces. So if I could continue to make woodworking pieces for folks or even sell them in in holiday bazaars, that would be just a real gift.
0: Oh, that's a good, that's a great one. I like that. and and professional too, you've actually turned that into into something that uh, makes makes a little bit of dope. but uh, I'm sure that the satisfaction is far more valuable than the price tag.
1: Oh, absolutely. just the the look on people's faces when I give them, you know, beautiful hardwood cutting boards and, 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 you know, and the responses they get from their family members and friends when, from when they tell me oh, how, you know, delighted they were, it makes all the difference, you know, essentially they're just paying
0: for the material. You know? That's nice. That's really nice. Well, David, this has been a great conversation. Please let people know how they can find you online. I'm on LinkedIn
1: as uh, David S. Libby. If you LinkedIn, you know, in David S. Libby. I'm on Twitter as David Libby. And every now and then, as much as I like it, I am posting on Instagram. I'm David Libby360.
0: All right. There we go. Well, thanks again, David, for being with us today. Really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The PR Podcast, and send us a question or a comment. Our intro is by Christopher Appolt. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire him for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at jodyfisherpr.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast.